You're listening to What the Business, the business podcast where I interview independent business owners about success, failure, and all the moments in between. My name is Josie Berg, and I'm your host. All right, hello and welcome to today's episode. We have Lana Dingwall on the podcast today. She is a business coach and she was actually my business coach last year for half the year. Um, So I can say from experience, this girl knows what she's talking about. And this episode is really good. I hope you guys enjoy it. We talk about scaling a one-to-one service-based business, speaking to your ideal client, and just staying sane during the pandemic and all these lockdowns and all these changes. Um, yeah, I hope you enjoy and be sure to check out our Instagram at what the business podcast and also check out our Patreon if you are interested. Um, I'll link that below, but it's just like Patreon backslash WTB, what the B, what the business. So yeah, check it out and enjoy. All right, Lana, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Um, I'm super happy to have you on. And yeah, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do and just introduce yourself to the listeners. Okay, cool. Well, also, thank you for having me. I'm pumped to be here. Uh, You gave it away. My name's Lana (laughs) (laughs) Dingwall. I am a business coach for Wool. You and I work together. Yeah. Yeah, For you as well. Uh, But I do a lot of business coaching. I work with people who are predominantly socially and or spiritually conscious in some way. Uh, That isn't necessarily the forefront of their business, but I work a lot with people who are looking to make more money, grow and scale, but in a way that feels ethical, aligned with who they are, and actually takes into consideration who they want to be in and outside of their business. So it's, there's no cookie cutter style process to what it is that we do. So that's a, that's yeah. a lot to do. And a lot of, uh, I, I don't know, I'd all say I'm a weirdo. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm literally wearing a shirt right now. You can't see. I was going to say, I love it. Actually, I know it so says much. be yourself and it's a picture <laughs> of an alien coming out of a woman. So. Yeah. Love it. <laughs> uh, my X-Files fan, my small mini inner X-Files fan is like, yeah, that's so cool. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, me too. I love the X-Files. Yeah, yeah, me too. I haven't watched them all, though. I have to admit, I can't I can't claim full hardcore fan level. <laughs> Not yet. You get the badge when you, like, finish the last episode yeah. and all of the movies, too. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you work with people who have businesses um, under six figures and over. How did – just how did you get started in all of your business coaching? Where did this all begin? Where, okay. Well, <laughs> yeah, it's a big it's question. Actually, it's a big question. Uh, well, because I think it's like you can break it into sections. So coaching, like I got into coaching, uh, honestly, over 15 years ago, uh, even in high school, my school, like I, I went to public school, but I guess they had got grant funding for conflict resolution mediation training. So I was selected by my school to go out West and do a month long training program on conflict resolution, mediation and facilitation. Uh, Got to miss a month of school. So obviously I said yes, but I did full-time training in how to mediate peer conflict. So if two students were to get into conflict, their options would be suspension or mediation with me. I also learned to facilitate like training programs around conflict resolution and other types of stuff and did that all through high school. And then in university, I worked for a business coach as his assistant. He was my rugby coach and he just brought me on as like one of the many jobs I did through university and I really loved it. And so that really got me in the coaching space and looking at coaching and doing coaching. And the business aspect of it actually comes from out of university, I worked in nonprofit for six years. And a, a large part of what I did though was fundraising, which is essentially marketing and sales. And I grew a lot of teams and I ran campaigns all across Canada and I managed different offices. And so a lot of the business skills that I learned that I teach my clients and that were really useful for me in the beginning of my business actually come from my background in fundraising. So it's essentially just like a fusion of these two, two skills, the coaching, and then also understanding marketing and sales in a more abstract way. 
Yeah, for sure. That's cool. Um, you also just started a project this year called the Lighthouse Collective. Yeah. Do you want to talk about that too? Sure. I love it. I, uh, thank you for asking me yeah. about it too. I get excited when people ask me because it's still new. It feels like a little baby. Yeah. <laughs> so the Lighthouse Collective is, well, it's a collective or community for spiritually and socially conscious entrepreneurs. Uh, and why I'm really excited about it is I find through, through my, like my work with myself, but also with a lot of clients is a lot of people are looking for spaces where they kind of get to show up as their whole self, but not just as their whole self, but also a space where they can really look at how can they learn more skills or have more conversations that create a more equitable and just world for everybody. And in a way where they're able to use their business and or projects that they do in their business to create that justice and that equity without it having to be the forefront of their work. Mm-hmm. And so it's really cool. Like we look at things like, well, how to attract clients and how to sell with ease and in a way that is in alignment with you, like all those classic business building stuff. But we also look at things like how do we dismantle power and privilege within ourselves? How can we use our business as a vessel for dismantling power and privilege in the world? Things like that. So it's a really cool space where um, the concept is there's no right or wrong. There's only what's right for you. You're not allowed to apologize for anything ever. So it's also like really also trying to look at changing the way we view how we're supposed to show up in our business and the idea that our business should be the priority of everything we do is not what we ascribe to, but more the idea that your business is an extension of you and you can use your business to not just create income for yourself, but you can also use your business to, to be who you want to be and create the change you want to see in the world. And just again, be with like-minded people. So yeah, it, um, I've been doing it. It launched a few months ago, I guess back in November and it's been going really well, but the behind the scenes of it, it, it took, I was creating that program for about a year, like picking oh, wow. it apart. I tried launching it at one point, decided I didn't want to launch it. It didn't feel right yet. So I pulled it back and kept working on it. So it was a very long time in the making, mm-hmm. which is why I'm proud of it, but also feel like it's my baby. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No kidding. Um, so what types of things did you do to build the program? First was really, I guess, which I think is when we look at doing work that's in alignment with you is really honoring the fact that I could feel this continuous pull or draw to create a certain type of offer in my business. Again, I I do business coaching. I have a lot of clients. I work with people one-on-one. I have created a business course and like I've done the whole course thing. I've also done mastermind, run mastermind groups and run small group coaching programs. So I've done a lot of these various things and I could feel myself like being pulled towards creating something where I could work with a group of people, but in a different way. And that sounds so vague and it was so vague. (laughs) And I think that that's the important (laughs) thing too. And you know, if you, if you run a business and even if you don't run a business, if you have done any type of creative project or project at all, sometimes you just feel this pull towards something and it seems super vague in the beginning, just as the lighthouse collective was not called the lighthouse collective in the beginning. I had no idea what it was that I was doing. I just knew I needed to create some time and space to think about like, what do I want to do differently in my business and how do I want to be in service of other people and what kind of community and space do I want to create along the way? And that was really that first step. And then I just started talking to people about it, uh, throwing out a bunch of different ideas of what I thought maybe the program was going to look like and what we would cover. And I have a team in my business. So I have a project manager and an assistant. And so I was talked a lot about it with them, particularly my project manager, Um, and so the first, like when I went to first launch it, um, and when I say launch it, I mean, we did the landing page, we did everything. Like we did the whole backend setup. It took about, we probably worked on that for three and a half months in the background. I launched it. And then like the next day or two days later was sort of like, actually I retracted my launch (laughs) because it didn't feel quite there. Um, and so the first time I launched it, it actually was like a high-end mastermind, which is my comfort zone. Like I do, 
you know, um, higher end style coaching, like, so spending a lot of time together in more intimate settings, again, as you know, Josie, Mm -hmm. but it, it didn't feel as accessible as I wanted it to. It didn't feel like we could have the types of conversations I wanted to have. And I wanted it to be much more like the community supports, supports each other. And that I wanted to create something that didn't need me in the long run. Mm -hmm. And that just wasn't possible with how I created it. So I actually launched it, like I said, changed my mind, pulled it back, um, and worked on it for like another three or four months, getting feedback from people behind the scenes. I changed the name of it. I again, changed the whole offer system of it and then launched it about essentially almost six months after my original launch, Mm -hmm. I launched it for a second time. And now it feels way more like what I want to be like. Oh, that's good. That's funny. So was that, so then I guess I'm trying to think of what time it is in the year, but did you start that project after COVID had hit? Was it um, a part of that? Was that a decision, a contributing factor, sorry, or was this uh, in the works before? It was in the works before COVID. Um, Like I said, I've launched variations of these I guess you would call them mastermind groups where I wanted to be able to cover topics that weren't just specifically around growing your business. And last year at this time, I launched what would have been my first like big step in that direction. So I launched a group coaching program for coaches where we looked at not just how to grow your coaching business, but a lot of it was actually based around how to improve your coaching skills as a coach. So it was really more focused on honing your craft um, from a service perspective versus like a business growth perspective. And I really, really, really loved that program. And so, but I, when I launched that program, I still knew that that wasn't exactly what I wanted, but I knew that that launching that program was going to give me more insight into like what I wanted the next program to look like. Um, but what is now the Lighthouse Collective, I would have started talking about wanting to do what it is now about in November of 2019. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, um, and I, yeah, so I, I launched the original version of it. It was called the Hive or the, I can't even remember what it was called wasn't called that. Maybe it was called the hive. I can't remember. It was something. I can't even remember what the name was that I launched with. Um, but I launched that during COVID. Okay. Um, at the end of May. Yeah. And then decided that that wasn't what I wanted it to be and took it back because you're allowed to do that. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) Um, so did COVID affect your business? Um, how did it affect your business and going into the new year, are you going into business with different mindset, different skills based on how, you know, the last year played out? Yeah, I feel like no one can say that 2020 didn't change them. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and I don't think it matters what your business was. I think it, you changed, you pivoted in some way. The, the word of 2020 was pivot. Yeah, it was. <laughs> um, I think the the biggest challenges or changes for me with COVID was like the actual service rendering part of my business, like my actual client work was already online. So that part wasn't huge, but I do a lot of public speaking and I run a lot of workshops and I run in-person retreats. So that part significantly changed. And I know that the effects of that, like took me longer to feel, but it's just having to get more creative with client attraction um, systems because I found a lot of the times people would see me. Well, that's how we met. We met at an in-person event. You saw Mm -hmm. me speak and started following me. So a lot, I get a lot of clients that way. Mm -hmm. People see me speak. um, And because seeing someone speak in real life and being in their energy and getting to recognize that this is kind of how they actually are really builds so much trust and that trust goes a long way. So that part has, was hard and has been hard because I had a lot of public speaking uh, gigs, like, like, and like um, not just in Canada, like I was going, supposed to be traveling all through the summer, doing different talks at conferences in the States. 
uh, I was supposed to go and do some stuff in Australia. So there was a lot of, there was a lot of things. Yeah. It definitely sucked. But again, like I think everyone now it almost feels like that was an entirely different life. Mm -hmm. Um, so a lot of things like that happened and that was hard, like the, the adjusting piece, but I'm a positive idealist, optimistic person. So (laughs) I think for me personally, that didn't feel overwhelming. I think the, the hard, honestly, the hardest part was actually the backend client support. Like I just, I obviously, my clients are entrepreneurs and I have a lot of, um, like you were saying in the beginning, I work with clients under six figure and over six figure. A lot of my over six figure clients do run brick and mortar businesses. And mm-hmm. so that was a lot harder for them because they had to, um, obviously close their doors. Yeah. They're not, they're not essential businesses. So that part was harder. It's just a lot, a lot of emotional support for my clients. Mm-hmm. Um, and th- I work a lot with coaches. So for them too, it was a a lot of, even the group program I ran, it ended up being like, we started meeting every week instead of like every other week, um, because people needed a lot more emotional support, which yeah. obviously granted, I can understand why. Yeah. So. Yeah, for sure. Did, did you, um, what were some common themes across the board with the type of support those businesses needed? A lot of it was grappling with the idea that they feel a little hopeless, very scared, very uncertain of the future, yet are also in a position where people are looking to them to give them guidance. Mm -hmm. Because even with the brick and motor businesses that I run, the people have like, those clients have staff. So their staff would be looking to them for emotional support or support in some way. And I work with obviously a certain type of person who are AKA just like good people and care about the world. So Mm -hmm. there's also a lot of emphasis on people putting like a lot of burden on themselves, responsibility to take care of their staff. Mm -hmm. Um, And then for service-based businesses, it was kind of, it was honestly the same thing. It was just, I think people got rocked where they felt like they had really great tools for mindset and systems and structures to support people. And this really put all of their skills to test in a really chaotic way where um, I think for some people, they struggled with it, where again, I think it's just anything. It's the complexity and polarity of being both optimistic, but also like super scared and worried and uncertain and learning how to kind of ride the in-between. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I know <laughs> you oh, yeah, were well, emotionally we were. supportive. Of <laughs> yeah, for like, sure. we, we worked together. Literally you hired me before COVID and then yeah, like just, yeah. And your business yeah. was a business that was hit, hit hard by it. So it, uh, that's what a lot of my work ended up being last year. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was, it was interesting. And I do, I'm appreciative from the fact that, again, like I was saying, it was really putting people's tools, personal tools to use. And so I was really happy that I can confidently be like, okay, the tools I have in place work because I remained sane last year (laughs) and not because everything went according to plan. Yeah. 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 What were some of your tools and resources that you used? Um, to stay sane. Yeah. To stay sane. Yeah. One, just knowing when to, to not read the news Mm. Mm -hmm. was a huge one. Uh, and knowing when to, to not engage in certain kinds of conversations. So if I was feeling particularly heavy, like emotionally or responsibility wise heavy, those are just not days for me to, uh, engage in conversations with people who are also feeling very heavy Mm. unless that person is someone who I know where we talk like in a processing way versus someone kind of offloading on me way. There's a difference, you know, we all have conversations where we feel like someone, I guess the term is like shedding. So they're, they're panicking and they're kind of just like shedding all that panic all over you Mm, versus being in a conversation with someone where you're both processing something, but you're, they're not asking you to take on their stress. 
Yeah. So knowing the difference between those and again, I'm a coach. I work in the coaching industry. So a lot of it was actually removing myself from content that focused on personal development and growth and actually focus more on nourishing content, which Mm -hmm. the difference between the two is a lot of personal development content really is about like learning tools and then applying those tools for your, to yourself for uh, like progress in your goals. And 2020 just didn't really feel like a year where that was important. I also was going through a massive separation. Like my partner and I have six or seven years. We owned a home together. We had a life together. Like we had just separated. Um, So I was already going through a big emotional transition year without COVID. Yeah, that's a lot. Yeah. Um, So it was, it was like actually learning the difference between kinds of content. So I found myself reading a lot of, again, nourishing content, um, which just means like reading things that make you feel good about yourself versus tactical things that kind of show you how you can improve yourself. Mm -hmm. And there, there is a difference between those types of content. So I spent a large part of my year focusing more on nourishing content because 2020 wasn't a year for me personally, everyone's was different, but 2020 was a year for me to go in. Um, this year, I feel like it's more of a year for out. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I use the word productive a lot to describe Mm -hmm. what I was doing conversations I was having this year. Like I would leave a conversation with someone and be like, that was not productive. I'm yeah. not going back. I'm not having that conversation again because it wasn't productive for me. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I get that. So then have you strategized or planned um, like new marketing tools and ideas going into this year knowing, I mean, especially in Ontario, I can speak. We both know how it's still pretty serious. It's probably yeah. more serious than like when we were actually working together last year. Um, So just with like the unknown COVID aspect, how has that changed your approach this year? I think that's a really good question. And the strategy that I've been using for myself and like what I've been kind of encouraging my clients and anyone I talk to about it to use is for this year, because there is still so much uncertainty, it's really focusing on, themes and essences over very specific goals and strategies. And the idea between a theme and an essence word can just be like this year, I want to embody compassion. Like I'm just going to, that's, I want to end 2021 feeling more compassionate towards myself or other people. Like, you know, it can be just a word theme is, is again, it's very adaptive. So my theme for 2021 is adventurous creation and or embodying what it means to be an adventurous creator. Uh, And so how that plays out, like structurally, even looking at growth or creating things in my business is it's giving myself permission to actually try and create all these different things content wise, uh, running more workshops, that kind of stuff. Cause again, I feel much more energetically, like I want to create this year. Um, So doing that, And then the adventurous piece is really actually giving myself permission to just not have everything be super strategic. So on my Instagram, like I've started sharing poems that I've written as an example, (laughs) whereas, you know, that you're like, well, you're a business coach. I don't quite understand where that fits. And part of it is like, well, one, it doesn't have to always fit Two, I'm allowed, like if 2020 taught us anything, like safety and security is a fallacy. So, you know, people don't create certain things or don't share certain parts of themselves because they're afraid that it might conflict with some safety and security that they've created. Mm -hmm. So just giving myself permission to have different forms of expression uh, and knowing that, again, with a theme, you don't kind of know where you're going to end the year but you know that with a theme, if you're focusing on it, it's again, with the concept of adventurous creator, I'll end 2021 having created a lot of really cool stuff. And I have given myself permission to not have to have all of those things 
make a thousand percent sense in terms of like what I want to do growth wise with my business, Mm -hmm. because it's also just focused on being like, I want to enjoy myself this year. That's how I will. That's how I will have continued to have a business in the future. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, Well, it's one thing that I've heard a lot from, like, I follow kind of certain fitness people because I like working out and stuff. And also I'm in therapy now. And my therapist too brought this up the other day, just that like, if you're not taking care of you, like you can't serve others properly. So, you know, they always say that in the workouts, like this is your time, take care of yourself. Mm -hmm. And then you can go forward in your day, taking care of those around you better. And it, I mean, it doesn't have to be working out. It could be anything. Right. But it's so true that, yeah, you kind of, your happiness and how fulfilled you feel in life absolutely translates into your business. Yeah. And it's like going back to what I felt like worked for me last year was the nourishing thing. Like that's what nourish, like it's just knowing what nourishes you Mm -hmm. versus like what is productive. And Mm -hmm. so I agree to like working out and just being active Mm -hmm. is something that makes me feel good mentally and emotionally. So I do it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I know for some people that feels too productive for them because there's so much energy that has to go into getting them yeah. to do it. So it is just finding things. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that make, make you feel good. And part of that, yeah, it's creative expression. Like I've never considered myself at all to be artistic ever in my life. Like I have played competitive sports my entire life and I'm, I played varsity rugby, you know, like I come from a very athletic family, like all we care, not all we care about, but you know, like my family as a unit, like all very athletic people. Mm -hmm. So we, I don't consider myself artistic. And then yet I have found myself being like, I want to write poems and share them on the internet. Um, so I think too, it's just also like an interesting time to be like, what parts of ourselves haven't we explored and how can we give space to those parts of ourselves? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's so true. And it's hard. It's not always easy because, you know, we're like so addicted to TV and technology and our phones. And so sometimes stepping away, I like that too. explore the parts of ourselves that we haven't before. I like that. Yeah. And I think that's the, that's like the interest. Again, you have to still be in a place of kind of some privilege to be able to feel like COVID is giving you space. Like I don't have children as an example. So it gives me space. Um, but it, I think it's actually like in being bored, that's where I realized, oh, I really like, po-. like I've always liked poetry, but I kind of forgot I liked it. And it's this interesting thing where like being bored versus like looking for ways to be entertained, yes. I think has been like mm-hmm. really something I'm trying to focus a lot more on too, is like, it's okay to be bored because when you're bored, you kind of like come up with all of these interesting things to do Mm -hmm. uh, that maybe you weren't even aware you liked doing. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I used to dance and I always loved ballet, but I never did it as much as I wanted to. And so now I started taking online ballet classes. Yeah. It's fun. It's it's interesting. So bad. I'm like, wow, I thought I would have some skill left, but no, but it's still like, so feeling and like when I'm sore the next day I'm like yeah this feels right <laughs> yeah and because it's not about I think too like our society re- has really convinced us that we should only be doing things to get better or we should only yeah. be doing things because we're good because at it we're again good. That, yeah that's the whole like productivity piece whereas you're like I'm just going to do this because I feel good I don't need to be good at it mm-hmm. like because it's not actually about being good at it it's about how it makes me feel yeah for sure I love that um, okay, so kind of going back away from the COVID stuff, in typical years or typical time, and even now, um, what type of advice do you find yourself giving your under six-figure clients and versus your over six-figure clients? Like, what are kind of some common topics and themes and tips you find yourself going over with them? I'm it's interested in kind of like the difference. The difference, difference between them? Yeah honestly, a lot of it is the same. I think the difference is it's just like the structure of someone's business. Mm. So when someone's an under six figure, uh, income earner, they're just, they're doing more of their stuff. 
So there is a little bit more emphasis also on kind of defining their target market audience and a lot more around, okay, how do you communicate uh, and use the language of your clients and all that kind of stuff. Like it's a little bit more about kind of carving out your space. Mm -hmm. And then with over six figure, uh, at least the majority of the clients that I work with, they're not necessarily, they are looking to scale their business, but it's more from like an internal system space. It's not necessarily from, I'm not helping them with outward facing marketing strategies. Mm-hmm. Um, but the thing that's the same for both is both are really rooted in embodying who you are more, um, taking more radical responsibility for yourself and your actions and actually creating what it is that you want in your life versus following someone else's plan, looking at what are your insecurities and your fears, where are your limitations? So those types of things are, are ultimately the same and all kinds like, you know, you know, this from, from working with me and doesn't matter what client I work with, they essentially always say the same thing, which is just like Lana, you have this weird knack for sometimes like understanding us better than maybe we understand ourselves yeah. <laughs> and like giving us information about ourselves that feels like really important. And sometimes it feels like therapy, but it's, it's not fair. It's not fair. I'm not a therapist, but it, mm-hmm. it's more like that space though, where people, you know, you know, this too from working with me, it's not, not about, and like, we need spaces where we can show up as our whole self, not feeling like we're going to be judged because that's mm-hmm. actually where all the good information lies is like mm-hmm. in the things that we're afraid of. Yeah. So, yeah, there were for sure parts that were like, yeah, not therapy, but like therapeutic in a way yes. that it like just makes you think differently. Um, so for someone then like sitting at home, who doesn't have a business coach, what types of questions can they be asking themselves or things can they be doing to figure out yeah, like how to talk to their ideal client, what, how to figure out that whole process for themselves. I think parts of it are really looking at, um, do you understand your ideal client enough actually, or are you, and it's looking at this idea of, again, we're very complex people. We're very complex, multifaceted people. So a lot of the mistakes I see, or like the, one of the most common mistakes I see people make is they kind of create a client avatar from just like what you would find demographically on like stats, Canada checklist, you know, so, Mm -hmm. um, gender, socioeconomic status, um, university degree, whatever, like, you know, just again, they, and it's always, and I use that example a lot where it's like, okay, is your client avatar based more or less only on things that you might find on like the Canadian consensus statistic form? Because if that's the answer, then you probably don't know your client that well. Um, so you want to really look at who is my person behind these really answer A, B, C, or D kind of questions. Um, and like looking at things, yeah, like what, it's not even like what keeps them up at night, but what excites them? Like what lights them up? What are kinds of conversations they like having with friends and family? Like what are things they like to do? What do they value? So even with you, one of the things we really looked at was, you know, your, and I love it in your current title. I can't even remember what it is now, but I read it the other day and was like, oh, I love that. Like on um, Instagram? Yeah, on Instagram. Yeah, like, yeah. What's your little it tagline? It says, here, I'll just read it so I get it right. Um but it is something that like I, we worked on. I feel like I got yeah. there with your help. Yeah, It's you're not just hiring me for your wedding day. You're hiring me to document your wedding day to look back on for the rest of your life. Yeah. And then you also have like, but you have something else on it too. A camera is like a micro documentarist. Like you, you call yourself something other than a photographer. Oh, I say, or I don't know. Cause I have changed it a couple of times recently, okay. but my like main page name is just Ottawa intimate wedding photo, intimate wedding photos. So like even that as an example, like it might seem like a, not a big niche down, but it is actually a big niche down because again, demographically, like that wouldn't come up on a statistic form, which is like, I value intimate closer connections with people and or experiences than 
like very large style things. And so that's really important because you're not, your ideal client isn't someone that wants a 300 person wedding where everyone and their dog is there. Um, you are really looking to have people who are, who are wanting to have smaller intimate weddings, who want to have even like a little, because it's smaller and more intimate, it's a little bit more adventurous, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Those aren't things you're going to find on a stats Canada checklist. Those are just things you understand about people based on like what motivates them and where are their values and where are they going to spend money based on those values. And so you really need to understand your client in the level. Essentially you would like your best friend. You know how you understand what makes your best friend tick and like what motivates them. And you, you kind of know how to convince them to do something, um, <laughs> yeah. you know, you're like, okay, yeah. I, if I put it from this perspective and I tell them that we'll do this thing, they'll definitely say yes. That's what you, that's the level you want to know your, your ideal client. Mm-hmm. For sure. And speaking of that, um, I know that I've had a few people in my personal life that aren't necessarily in business question why I would be so focused on such a small niche. Um, and I know that I feel like you can probably speak to this really well, talk about why like niching down is important or just like how to do that and what that means. And yeah, I feel like we talked about that. So I know you probably have some good insight. Yeah. I think there, when you're looking at the idea of niching, part of it, it was, we make this false assumption that more like options or opportunity equals success. And so that's how we feel where you're like, Oh, outside people are like, Oh, niching down though. Like, doesn't that make your market smaller? And the idea is like, that's just like a fallacy concept that it doesn't, it's not about oh, the smaller the pool that you're looking to get, the less likely you are to get clients. If anything, sometimes if you're in the right pool, it doesn't matter how small it is because it's exactly where you're supposed to be. And so everyone's going to want to work with you. Yeah. And I think parts of it are also, again, it's looking at, uh, this is like a funny, Maggie, I'm going to, like, I'm obsessed with Maggie Rogers. Um, oh, yeah. So uh, it was actually a question that I asked Maggie Rogers, which was, um, how have you stayed like true to yourself in an industry that's always asking you to conform or, and and that kind of requires people to, to become someone that they're not. And you hear that a lot in the music industry Mm -hmm. about, you know, people losing themselves. And her answer was, um, if you're looking to be famous, then it's, like con- converting into whoever other people want you to be is probably your best bet. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you're doing something because you like love it and you're passionate about it, then you're doing it because you love it and you're passionate about it. And so you're not focused on trying to be famous. You're just focused on doing your work really, really well and in a way that feels yeah. good for you. Yeah. And so that's also the idea with niching is, yeah, it, all, it makes sense from a business standpoint because if people feel like you're speaking specifically to them, they're more inclined to work with you. And if someone, and it, it's like no trust, like if people have to like, like, you know, you trust you and they're more inclined to have all of that if you're kind of niche down a bit. But the other idea behind it is you also are hopefully doing what you're doing because you love it and you love it because you like working with a certain type of person. So you also kind of owe it to yourself with all of the work you put into your business to want to work with people who excite you. Mm -hmm. And that often equals working in a smaller market with a specifically niched group of people who have a certain kind of energy. Mm -hmm. Like you in particular, you don't want to work with diva people who only care about the Instagram, like the photos for showing on social media. And they have so many people at their wedding that they don't connect with anyone. Like that's not the kind of photography you want to shoot. Yeah. So niching just also make sense because it means you are more inclined to work with the type of person you want to actually work with. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, when did you meet Maggie Rogers? That's so cool. (laughs) I I didn't meet her like in person. So, um, okay. So the, it's like my project manager SIG is really high up at, uh, Shopify. Okay. And so Maggie Rogers was doing like a Q and a, with her and some other people and she knows that I'm obsessed with Maggie Rogers. So she's like, Lana, 
what questions do you want to ask Maggie Rogers? And like, hopefully mm-hmm. your questions get picked. And both my questions got picked. Oh, nice. Um, so, and then she sent me the video of Maggie. And one time Maggie, Maggie Rogers said like, that's a really good question. Um, nice. And then answered my questions. So. <laughs> Kudos. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. But I, I do think it was just like a really brilliant answer. Cause it is something that I, again, Maggie Rogers is, I think what makes me so interested in her and her music is she does just feel so authentic. Mm -hmm. And so for her answer to simply be, well, because I was never trying to be famous, Mm -hmm. I think perspectively that just, we make decisions based on what we're trying to get to. So if you're trying to become the most famous Instagram photographer, I don't know, then maybe you're, you might want to consider your reconsider some of your niches but if you're doing something because you really like it and you want to work a certain type of person which should be your priority then <laughs> according to me at least yeah yeah no I get that you're like you should be working towards your priority so even if it is to get tons of followers then you'd be working on you know influencing them and engaging yeah. with them in a different way right yeah and even like to go back to your question about niching and people I think it's like we, when we think about what we want in our life and when we think about our values and like what makes us happy, um, we, we have whatever our list is, but then what I find a lot of people do is they have their values and they have what they want their life to look like, but then they essentially only make decisions in their business based on money. Mm. And so when you're only making decisions, which is the business version of getting famous, I guess, Yeah. Um, in yeah, a way, yeah. in a way. Um, so if your sole focus is like, well, how can I make money? Then sometimes it might feel like niching gets in the way of making money because mm. it makes the pool, or, the pool smaller, which also like isn't actually true. Yeah. Um, but if you're trying to grow your business in a way that is in alignment with your values, then niching makes sense because you want to work with a certain type of person. And then when you work with that person, you get better results they're more inclined to refer you. It grows your business as well. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, so I always like to say work smarter, not harder. Yeah. Um, and I actually think this year has been a great lesson and teaching of that lesson, I should say, because I mean, there's been so many weeks where I didn't, you know, clock enough hours or whatever, according to standard, but I still like was progressing and getting things done and doing well. So are there any tips or tricks you have for people to, you know, work smart? <laughs> yeah. Work smarter, not harder. Yeah. 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 I have a lot. Um, but I think the one, the biggest one I'll share, um, which I'm actually running a workshop on later this week, which if, when you're listening to the recording of this podcast will have already occurred. Okay. Um, but like, I'm just, so I won't shout it out because people will go research it and be like, Oh, yeah. it's over. <laughs> well, I'm sure I'll, I'll have like a replay or something. I'll do it again. Cause I think people, a lot of people ask me that. So, um, yeah. but this is the whole idea too, around looking at like what kind of work is in alignment with you and alignment. All it means is just where everything aligns itself to create a system in which has the least amount of resistance and therefore the most amount of ease. Like that's what alignment is. We think about your car being aligned. It just makes it easier for you to drive the car. So alignment in your business is not necessarily this insanely like woo spiritual term where you're like, when you're in alignment, like everything flows, which also is true. Um, but, but the idea behind it is we all have different skills and we all have different things that excite us. And so if we structure our business in a way and our lives in a way where it creates more opportunity for us to do what we're good at and do things that like really excite us, we actually work smarter. And the reason we work smarter is because there's a different kind of energy around things that we're doing. Like if you think about what's a, what's an activity in your business that you absolutely hate doing? Uh, um, I don't particularly like um, scheduling Pinterest or Instagram posts or blogs. Okay. Yeah. Just yeah, like any kind so of copywriting. yeah. Just, and yeah, like that, that part seems blah. So think about how drained you feel after doing that and then how much harder it is to do anything else that day. Yes. <laughs> and then what's the thing that you find like the most exciting about your work? Um, any, anytime I'm working with like couples or clients. So whatever that is. 
Yeah. Okay. And how many hours could you do that for? A lot more. Yeah. <laughs> and, and like that is an example. Like we all have to sometimes, especially in the beginning stages of our business, we all have to do things that like are not our favorite, but we do get mm-hmm. to a point where you can start to outsource those, or you just look at, do you even have to do those things at all? Mm-hmm. But the idea is how you actually work smarter and not harder in your business is part of it is kind of taking some time to assess what are your skills, like what gets, what comes easy to you. Um, and then also what, like, what are you naturally good at? But then also what are activities that are exciting and they create this positive energy because that mm-hmm. positive energy gives you more energy and therefore you're more inclined to get more done without it even feeling like you're working. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's one of the reasons why, as an example, like I do podcasting over writing a blog, mm-hmm. both mm-hmm. are, both are content creation. Um, both have a bajillion people telling you, you need to do it online to grow your business. And when I first started my business, I did blogging like year, like, you know, like a long time ago and it would take me forever to write a blog. Um, and then at first I started just then doing live video instead and I could do live video, which is essentially just a variation of podcast, um, so much quicker, which meant I did more of them. And Mm -hmm. because I liked doing them more, they were received better because there was a different energy behind it. And I became really well known at the beginning of my business for like all these Facebook live. And I would do live as well, mm-hmm. not because I was good live. Like I got so nervous and anxious doing it, yeah. but because I hate editing mm, Yeah, and I, I'm not a techie person. So just doing Facebook lives was the easiest way for me to get out my content. Um, and in a way that felt like, the path of least resistance. And then therefore I was able to do it way more. Mm, so that was yeah. an example of working smarter and not harder. It, it, again, it's always looking at like, how can I find a different way to do something that it becomes more naturally to me so that because there's less resistance, I'm more inclined to do more of it, which again, helps me grow and scale my business faster. And, and then same with podcasting. Like if I had to sit down and write a long form blog, it would take me the entire week, like, right, like writing, like, fit, like, you know, that kind of writing is not, it's a lot harder for me. Mm-hmm. Whereas speaking, I'm, I feel like it's easier and I'm more, and I'm much more articulate. So that's why I do podcasting. Mm-hmm. So it's just like looking for also those little areas mm-hmm. yeah. for you to do things differently yeah. or just in ways that make for sense sure. for you. Yeah, for sure. No, I like that. Um, so then with that, it's kind of related to that. It, do you outsource anything? Do you recommend outsourcing? What's your, yeah. I definitely recommend outsourcing. <laughs> um, but I do recommend learning how to do things in the beginning of your business so that you actually understand what you're outsourcing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think also you have an appreciation for it. Some things you just have to outsource because you just, maybe you don't have the tech skills. Like I outsource everything tech related. I have zero tech skills. <laughs> and I also don't really like, t- yeah, tech is like, it drains me. It doesn't grow my business. Like I need to do it. So I'd rather pay someone to do it though than have me do it. Yeah. But I, I have a team of people. So I have a podcast editor. Cause I, again, I also know myself, I won't edit a podcast. I wouldn't upload it. Like I'm not actually a hyper. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I can <laughs> give you their name. Um, I'm just like not a hyper, I'm not actually a hyper productive person or I'm not a hyper organized person. Okay. I am productive, but I need accountability. So hmm. that's why like the podcast editor, he needs to have the stuff so that he can put it out. Um, I have an assistant. She does a lot of my, uh, like again, all my website updates, um, show like when I create a new freebie or need a landing page build, that kind of stuff. She does those things. She puts my podcast on my website, all that kind of jazz. Um, then I also have a project manager. So my project manager, Sig, who I was talking about earlier, she's someone where like, I have a lot of ideas and I need help though, organizationally executing on my like really, really big ideas. Mm -hmm. And so she helps me, uh, break down my big ideas into more like actionable tasks. And she helps me with like the kind of like the back end processes of launching bigger things, because those types of things, while I logically understand and logistically understand how to do them 
doesn't mean that I should be the ones, the one doing it Mm -hmm. because it's like my best work comes from working with clients and creating content. So those are the things that I should spend the vast majority of my time doing at this stage of my business. That's not how I started. Yeah. At this stage of my business, those are the things that grow and scale. My business are, are actually me doing more of what I'm good at and what people pay me for. Mm-hmm. And then having people help me with the other parts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Um, what is one thing that has leveled up your business? Taking it from like a zero to 100. Mm-hmm. Um, honestly, investing like in my own coaches. Mm, okay. Uh, because parts of it are accountability works and having just someone on your team works and having someone that you're checking in with regularly and who you're able to bounce ideas off of and who can give you perspective and feedback, like that kind of stuff's invaluable. They're also really great at helping me see what my own limitations are, or maybe where I'm overthinking things. So any, any type of like hiring my own business coach, going to conferences, having a mastermind group that I'm a part of all that kind of stuff definitely is very, very useful. Um, it's not necessarily like, I don't, I think it also just depends. Again, we have to know who we are. Like I, I need that kind of support and accountability. Mm-hmm. Um, some people don't, but I, I, I know I do. I have no shortage of ideas. It's just all the other things I need support with. So that's definitely a part of it. And I think there's, for me, again, for me, there's okay. something about paying people a lot of money and then being like, cool, well, I got to justify that all that money I just paid you. So I'm going to saddle up and do the work. Yeah, yeah that's fair. No, accountability yeah. is key, especially, I mean, especially as an independent business owner, like mm-hmm. even then like working from home, even if you're not like you have a team, but like just being on your own every day working, like it, it does help to have those people because I mean, obviously if you work in an office kind of nine to five, you naturally have those people to hold you accountable, but. Yeah. And it's just any type of support. Like it's hard to do a business by yourself. Mm-hmm. We need yeah. support. And even if it's just emotional support. Yeah. Well, even people just talking about working from home being so much harder and mm-hmm. Yeah. I was talking with Jake, making a joke how I should have like an employee of the month, oh, yeah. <laughs> like print out frame in my office and just have a photo of me in it to remind myself <laughs> that like I'm doing a good job and I need to keep going. <laughs> yeah, you are. And isn't it funny that that's often actually what we need the most is just the reassurance that we are doing a good job. We are on the right track. We're not like doing a shit job and Mm -hmm. just to keep going. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Thank you so much for being on. I really appreciate it. And yeah. And hopefully maybe you will be on another episode in the future. (laughs) Oh yeah. Thank you so much for having me and I had a lot of fun. So I hope, I hope to be back on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thanks for listening in. Remember to check us out on Instagram at what the business podcast. See you at the next episode.